There is a lot of weird shit happening within the walls of the Vatican. I'm not just talking about exorcisms or occult practices. Many people believe that much worse things occurred there. From helping Nazi war criminals escape and offering them sanctuary, to the Vatican making a penny and a dime from the Holocaust, to blackmail, torturous imprisonments, and a whole ass secret archive. There is so much to discuss here, and if any of this is true, then it's heinous and almost demonic, using their definition of the word at least. Do these secret manuscripts prove that you can sell your soul to the devil? Do they know things about demonology that we don't? And if so, why won't they share it with us? Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Haunted Detective Podcast. I'm your favorite host, Kelsey Childs, but everyone calls me the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. And before I introduce my co-host and another very special person that we have here today, I just want to say that if I go missing after this episode gets published, y'all know where to look for me. That's ominous. (laughs) And with me is the person who would go Liam Neeson if I went missing. Damn straight. I really would. My favorite person in the universe, the Miss Pamela J. Hello. With us is our editor, Chris, and today is his birthday, the day that we're recording it, not releasing the episode. So you guys are a little late in wishing him a happy birthday, but you should do it anyways. Happy birthday. (laughs) Anyways, without further ado, let's open the case file on today's episode's The Secrets of the Vatican. Nestled within the confines of Rome lies the smallest independent state in the world, Vatican City. It's home to beautiful architecture, art, and other collectibles, and only 764 people as of 2023. As it stands in all of its glory, its image is only the tip of the iceberg for Christians and Catholics around the world. It is home to the largest church in the world and Peter's Basilica, and the city houses the most influential spiritual leaders. Let's go back to the beginning. The area where the Vatican now sits was once a marsh called the Ager Vaticanus, and again, I say this every episode, I apologize if I pronounce that wrong. Within the earliest days of the Roman Empire, the area became a district for wealthy people. My favorite emperor, Caligula, uh, you know, the one who appointed a horse as consul and waged war on Poseidon by having the entirety of the Spartan army march down to the beach and stab the ocean with their spears? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that one. Built a circus. Not surprising, although it's it's a bit of a different description for a circus back then, but just know that he built a grand big thing in the marsh area for, I think it was for his aunt. But then in 64 AD, disaster struck when a great fire leveled most of the empire, and Emperor Nero needed someone to blame. He was an angry man who ruled with an iron fist, so it was no shock when he turned his sights on the Christians residing in the city, accusing them of igniting the flames. Nero set out to punish all of them. He ordered them to be arrested, tortured, and publicly executed. Now, here's the thing. There was an apostle known as Peter, and he was the leader of the Christian community in Rome. He knew that Nero was coming for him because of his position in the persecuted community and even considered leaving the city. I I would have been like, peace, (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. Bye. Thank you so much for everything. I want to thank the Academy. You know, thank you so much. I know I'm your leader. Like, you appointed me. You worship me. But I'm going to head out. Thank you. Figgity dog, I'm getting out of (laughs) here. 
But he ultimately decided to stand with his people. Peter was allegedly crucified upside down at the base of Vatican Hill, where the others were also put to death. I say allegedly because we don't know this for a fact, just that he was killed by Nero for being the leader of the Christians in Rome. It is more than likely, I guess, that it happened as written, though. When you were crucified upside down, wasn't that like a big slap in the face to your religion? No. It wasn't? He asked, apparently, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to assume the position of Jesus, you know? But again, there is no record of him actually requesting that. There's no official record of him actually being crucified upside down. Just we have paintings of it happening. And I guess, let's say it didn't happen as it was painted. It would have been painted that way out of respect to him and how people thought he would have wanted to go out. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I just like just a really quick side note. I highly doubt that this bloodthirsty Roman emperor was like, oh, yeah, this dude, he wants to be like crucified upside down. Guys, totally do it. Obey his wishes. Do it. Yeah, it sounds a little improbable. Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, then again, we're doing an entire episode on the secrets of the Vatican. So what is actually improbable here? (laughs) They were then buried in a necropolis. In 313 CE, the Edict of Milan was enacted by Roman emperors Constantine and Lysanias. This called for the legitimacy and tolerance of Christianity and other religions inside of Rome, thus legalizing their practice. Constantine began construction of a church over the tomb of St. Peter's. It became a site of holy worship and pilgrimage. It was also known as the District of Borgo, a commercial district home to many clergymen. Well, uh, you really can't make this shit up, but in 846, pirates from the Sinai Peninsula, known as Saracens, attacked and gravely damaged the church. Wait, why? I love how you're asking why and not reacting to the fact that I said pirates. Well, I mean, yeah, that kind of is implied with the question, as in (laughs) why are pirates, of all people, uh, why are they there? Well, I mean, the Saracens were Arabs, and the Arabs and the Romans were constantly feuding, so it was just part of a raid that they enacted on the Roman Empire, from my understanding. I, obviously, it's not like part of the whole Vatican thing. It is an important piece. But I, that's a whole, that's a whole nother history, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole other book we'd have to crack open. The construction of a great wall was started to protect the city, although for centuries it was left unfinished. But by 1309, the papal church moved to France and the city was abandoned until they returned in 1377. They decided to up their game and built many more grand structures, such as the Sistine Chapel, Apostolic Palace, and the St. Peter's Basilica. And finally, we have the Vatican City that we know and mostly wonder about. I have questions. I have a lot of questions for the Vatican. (sighs) It's just, this is so much. I, I, for one, I understand building a church on a dead person. But at the same time, is is that not kind of disrespectful? Uh, yeah, kind of a, a lot of bit disrespectful to build a whole city on a dead person. Like, this guy was taken from his home, mm-hmm. crucified, killed, and then the Christians and Catholics, they were like, oh my god, I have a great idea. Let's build a giant church on top of his grave. Wow. That was such a fucking good idea, Jennifer. <laughs> Let's <laughs> Thank you, <do> Melissa. <laughs> Let's do it. 
No, for real, that was a terrible fucking idea. Well, it's a holy site because he is buried there. Oh, uh, for those of you who don't know, we live stream for subscriber onlys on some recording days. And one of my mods, Bacon, just said, well, it's a holy site because he's buried there. Which, yeah, I, I sure, I get that. True. But also, I wouldn't want a building put on top of me. It just seems wrong. I don't know. In the grand scheme We're- of things, it just seems mean. We're not knocking anyone's belief system, but coming coming from outside of that belief system. Coming from a third party. Can someone explain it to us? Now that we know the basics of how and why the Vatican and its associated city was created, let's start discussing some of the more heinous secrets that they are allegedly keeping. To even begin this conversation, we need to talk about the girl who went missing from Vatican City in 1983. Emanuela Orlandi was a 15-year-old girl living in Vatican City with her siblings and parents. Her dad was a clerk in the Vatican and had worked under and served seven popes in his career. June 22, 1983 was not unlike any other day. It was hot for that time of year and Emanuela had flute lessons in her Central Rome music school. But something was off with her. She seemed distracted, on edge, and just overall off, and the passionate musical girl asked to leave early from her class, which was not like her. She had called her family to tell them that she had been approached to sell Avon beauty products by a recruiter that was outside of her school. She said that she was excited for this opportunity. That was the last time her family heard from her. When the kids' curfew rolled around, the Orlandis became worried when Emanuela was still not home. They went out looking for her within the confines of where she had been, but saw no success in doing so. That same evening, they went to the police and tried to file a missing persons report, but they were told that it was too soon to declare her missing and were asked to leave and come back another day. That pisses me off. That's so shit. Are you kidding? That pisses me off. She's not missing long enough. She's a minor. Yeah, she probably like ran away or something or like had sex. I don't know. I'm like, dude, she's 15 and she was at flute lessons. Like, <sighs> really? Okay, not missing long enough. Great. Thanks, guys. Very helpful. Very helpful. It's it's sad because it is possible that if the police had taken her family seriously, she would have been found. That That really, really, really sucks. They decided to publish their own missing persons alert in the newspaper, but that only brought on a slew of phone calls that turned up fake leads or that were just pranked. There are a lot of conspiracy theories and questions surrounding her disappearance. We're not going to go into depth for all of them, or a lot of them that is. One of the popular theories was that someone was holding her ransom, demanding the release of Mehmet Ali Atka, the man who tried to assassinate Pope Paul II. Ali was sentenced to 20 years in prison. The same month she vanished, an anonymous caller claimed this to be the case. He called himself, quote, the American, which just feels very ominous. Um, yeah, that seems really ominous. And I also hate the fact that the family was receiving prank calls. Who the fuck sees a missing persons like poster or something and thinks, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prank the hell out of these, uh, grieving parents Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. fabulous idea well did you see that influencer a while ago whose son got shot and she posted a video about it she was receiving so many weird comments and it's just i mean society never changes it's just with social media that's disgusting you see it more that's awful 
Oh, God. People will and always have been awful. Great. <laughs> he said that she was taken to force the hand of the Italian government to release Ali. If this didn't happen, then she would be killed by June 30th, my birthday. Lovely. He had proof, too, a tape recording of Emanuela that her family said was her. When confronted, Ali had no idea what this caller was talking about, and nothing happened when July finally hit. So could this have been just a prank? I know I know you're going to have questions. I also have questions, and I have theories. I'm going to run through all of these theories, and then we're going to discuss it. I think, I think that might be, because there's a lot. Oh, okay. <laughs> there is a lot. There is so much. But yes, it could have been a prank, but I have questions. Like I said, there are so many theories, going as far as to say that the mafia in Italy wanted money back that they lent to the Vatican or that Emanuela just ran away. But I wanted to focus on the weird behaviors displayed by the Pope and his gaggle of religious leaders. Again, I just want to go back to like that voice recording. Don't forget that. Don't forget that there was a voice recording. The family verified that it was her. Keep that in your mind. Here's the thing. The Vatican never allowed the Italian police to search inside of their walls. They were so obstinate when it came to helping with the investigation or releasing any information that they claimed to have gathered in their own investigation that it caused the Orlandi family to grow suspicious. In 2013, when Pope Francis was appointed, he saw Pietro and his mother, Emanuela's brother and mother, holding signs with her face on it and approached them both individually saying Emanuela is in heaven before walking away. I must add that her body still has never been found. Fast forward to 2018 and on when very bizarre things or I guess more bizarre things started happening. The lead investigator for the Vatican came out with supposed proof that her dead uncle murdered her. Um, okay. The Orlandi family has since publicly said in their uncle's defense that he was not around at the time of her disappearance and that his involvement was thoroughly investigated by the proper authorities in 1985. His involvement at all, like any sort of involvement within the family, has been disproven. So why are we suddenly pointing fingers? Mm, good question. Their uncle was 124 miles away on vacation with his family when he heard the news and started his trip back. Oh, wow. These are things that the Vatican's investigators knew because it was in the case files for 40 plus years that, again, the Holy See and the police both had access to. Coincidence? Hmm. I think not. For obvious reasons, along with the decades of concealing things, the Orlandi family felt like this was the Vatican's way of turning the attention off of themselves. In 2019, the family got an anonymous clue telling them to, quote, look where the angel is pointing with a picture of a sculpture. In a Da Vinci Code turn of events, this took them to the Teutonic Cemetery, which is the only cemetery in Vatican City. They ended up unsealing the tombs of two German princesses and found that they were both empty. Both of the tombs were empty? Both of the tombs, both of the bodies. Empty, gone, missing. Okay, great. So that doesn't make sense. When questioned, the Vatican merely said that the bodies were probably removed during renovations in the 70s and never put back. Okay, so we lost the bodies? Of two German princesses? Yeah. Yeah, because that just happens. What? My research into this also shows that the bodies have not yet been recovered or found. And at the time of the tombs unsealing... The families were notified that the bodies were gone. 
So the Vatican just like can just they're just doing random shit and they're like, oh, hey, can you um like wh- where are the bodies of, of these people? They're like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then just like that's it. Not only that, not only that. Are you ready for this next doozy? Probably not. They found a hidden chamber under the Teutonic College with thousands upon thousands of human bones. None of them were proven to be Emanuela, though. And to this day, we have no idea where she is. But um, maybe the Vatican does. So they just have a whole room of bones. An ocellary, yes, is technically what it's called. What? Are we not concerned about this? Who's running shit over there? The Holy See. Well, they need to fucking do better. This is well, not... Okay. What's so happening? The Holy, See, the Holy See is the city, the officials, the Pope, the investigators. They are all just one. The Holy See. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is so bad. Well, here's the thing. So we already know for a fact one time that they came out with fake evidence that the uncle was involved, right? Right. So, or fake evidence that someone did it who actually didn't. What's to say that it wasn't the Vatican or someone working for the Vatican that called the family claiming to be, quote, the American, saying that Emanuela was taken by these terrorists when, in fact, she was with, well, not with, inside the Vatican the entire time, and that's how they had a voice recording of her. If that would have, if that is so, like if if that is true, then what happened to her? That's, I mean, that's up for speculation. I honestly, um, so these people for like forty years have just had no answers. Yeah, precisely. Her brother is a huge advocate in her case. There was a Netflix documentary. Nothing like. the the Vatican has been pressured to share case files and reopen the investigation. Are they not forced to do so? No. They're an independent state. They can handle their law enforcement and their investigations how they see fit. And not to mention, everyone who works for the Pope in the Vatican, including the Pope himself, holds diplomatic immunity. What the fuck? Yeah. That is a recipe for abusive power. So the thing is, is there are more, there are several options here, right? I honestly think if it looks like a fish and it smells like a fish, it's typically a fish. And we know, we know based on, you know, the 90,000 nuns fleeing from the Vatican, we know from the Vatican actually coming out and being like, yeah, we've had sexual abuse inside our walls towards our parishioners and, you know, children. And yeah, the there are a lot of Catholic churches and their priests, they, they rape kids. I know we're not going to do anything about it. So again, it looks like a fish smells like a fish. It's a fish. So again, Emanuela is a 15 year old girl. She's young, she's innocent, and she's trusting. She grew up as a Vatican kid around these people. And again, there are, in 2023, there were 764 people in Vatican City. There were probably not even half that in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, that's a really small community. So everyone knew everyone. And the last thing I want to add is, keep in mind, okay, so now we have the recording. Mm -hmm. We have the Vatican's lead investigator coming out and saying, oh, it was the uncle. We have evidence. Evidence 
is then what proven to not really be evidence. Right. And then we have the makeup salesman from Avon recruiting a 15-year-old girl outside of a music school for minors. Yeah. I mean, I I was about to bring that back up because who's waiting for kids outside of a, a school? To recruit them, nonetheless. To sell makeup. Someone who's not really recruiting people for work. Right. But she's seen... The last time she is seen is talking to this man and then getting into a car with him and driving off. Well, I mean, unfortunately, when something bad happens to, um, I mean, even adults, it's usually someone that you know or that you're close to um, or just someone that your parents are friends with or, you know, etc. So maybe she knew the person she was getting in the car with and felt like she was safe. Yeah. And remember, guys, these are theories. We're coming. We're speculating. We're not putting any blame on anyone. We're not saying, oh, you know, like. Right. But here's the other theory, right? We have a girl that grew up in Vatican City. She grew up among high ranking officials in the church. She probably knew how to access places that she shouldn't have because we we all know, much like your dog today. (laughs) Because we're gonna we're gonna cut that out, but uh, Pamela's <laughs> dog keeps breaking into her office. Um, children know how to hide and know how to get places that they shouldn't be, and it is more than possible that she overheard something that she wasn't supposed to, which would explain why she was on edge all day. That definitely could have been. I mean, it makes you wonder what you know a girl her age who. Obviously was talented. She was playing the flute and it it makes me really, really sad because she was just so young. I mean, there is a theory that I heard and it was that she was possibly um, assaulted by someone that was close to John Paul II and something sparked from that. I'm not sure if that's a theory that's being pushed, but it is one that I have heard quite a bit when hearing about um, her case. Um, And unfortunately, with cases like this, it would not shock me um, if someone with that much authority was harming a child and then trying to cover that up because it wouldn't be the first time that we have heard something like this. If that were the case, that's obviously just a theory. See, that that's the thing is, you know, it doesn't matter how close her family was with the Pope. It doesn't matter that he came out publicly multiple times and was like, oh, let's help finding Manuela. He never made an effort to actually help find her, you know? Right. And that's the part that's even more fucked up is you have a family that's grieving, still grieving to this day. And who's trying to help them? Netflix, shockingly, they just, I mean, they're just like, wow, great story. On to the next. Or like, you know, you don't just go missing and then your body is never found unless something absolutely foul has occurred. And the fact that the investigators in Vatican City are not helping and that they refuse to let them search the buildings of Vatican City for her, that screams a red flag. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. 
what else would be found? Well, shit. What wouldn't be found? <laughs> if investigators were allowed to, to look. I mean, you got some dark secrets. The Vatican has so many secrets and stolen items. For instance, some religious and cultural artifacts were lost when Rome took siege of Jerusalem in 70 CE and Titus destroyed the Holy Temple. It is said that the Vatican has the golden menorah and other items taken from the Jewish people. There are also rumors that they have artifacts that are crucial to the history and culture of ancient Egypt and items from indigenous tribes around the world, like headdresses, wampum belts, ceremonial masks, and much, much more. In fact, in April of 2023, Pope Francis said that he is more than happy to return the stolen items. Gee, thanks? <laughs> Appreciate it. Lots of words, not a lot of action. Oh, God. Common theme. But that begs the question, what else is the Vatican hiding that they don't want us to know about? And yeah, it is a common theme. In the words of my friend Jamie Dessen, a lot of smoke and not a lot of fire. You can say that again. <laughs> That's not just with the empty promises they make. It's, you know, we have so much information that it's overwhelming, but also so little information that it's underwhelming. I actually, I told Pamela getting into this episode, I was like, dude, this episode is going to be overwhelming and underwhelming all at the same time. A lot of smoke, not a lot of fire. That tends to happen when uh, the Vatican does anything. Before the 17th century, scholars had access to much of what the Vatican kept in their library because, well, most of it was there for academic and study and use. Things like the entirety human history documented like we've never seen it before? You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Oh. Pope Paul V decided that much of these documents, books, state papers, and more, should be removed from the library and placed in a more private location. It's not a secret archive. We know that it exists, it's just kept away from the public, and pretty much everyone. <laughs> so it's not secret, but it's also secret. No. It is not a secret archive. It That was actually like a mistranslation of what it was called or is still called, I guess. But in a way, a lot of it is really secretive because we don't really know what they have there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some Catholic artifacts, such as a letter that Mary, Queen of Scots, wrote to Pope Sictus V, begging for him to intervene so she would not get beheaded. The documents outlining the excommunication of Martin Luther, the German man who was basically the catalyst for the Protestant religion to arise, and military order from the Roman Catholics for the Crusades, and so much more. But I don't want to talk about what we know is kept in those archives. I want to talk about what they could be keeping from us. I'm sure the list is longer than I'd like it to be. That's the thing, though. I thought I was going to have to, like, pick and choose. But we don't know so much. Great. It's like the ocean. Only 10% has been discovered. It's really only like 2%. Oh. Even better. I'm just saying that in the age of social media, you're telling me that no one has like gotten in there and taken videos or pictures. In the age of news and journalism and conspiracy theories, like no one? I guess no one has had the... I, ability? Opportunity? I mean, maybe they keep that thing locked down tight. 
To even begin this conversation, we need to talk about the Knights Templar and why the Vatican attempted to hide the manner of their execution. In 1099, during the Crusades, the Christian armies took control of Jerusalem, taking it from the Muslim population residing there, but it was proven to still be dangerous territory when Westerners tried visiting what they dubbed their Holy Land. Because of this, in 1118, Hughes de Paines, a knight from France, created an army with his family and friends to protect Christian travelers from being slaughtered or robbed on their journey. De Paines and his army later became known as the Knights Templar. Soon, the Templars gained the support of the leader of Jerusalem, Baldwin II, and they became the official protective force with their HQ on Temple Mount, which is how they got their name. By 1129, the Catholic Church grew fond of their mission and started endorsing them. Then Pope Innocent II allowed the Templars to have exemption from many things, like taxes, and they answered directly to the Pope. Here's the thing, the Templars saw themselves as holy men, and although, as an organization, they became very wealthy through the establishments of banks and other financial endeavors, the Knights themselves swore an oath to live a life of poverty. They also practiced abstinence and sobriety. The men were not allowed to gamble or curse either, and they were expected to pray throughout the day to mainly the Virgin Mary. With all of this said and done, they became a powerful force around Western Europe and were well-renowned. They served many kings, queens, and men of higher classes. But by the end of the 12th century, the Templars saw a steep decline in success. After the Muslims took control over Jerusalem again, they were forced to establish a new base in Paris. But they refused to submit to King Philip IV's demand for money and support. On October 13th, a Friday... 1307, the French Templars were arrested in droves. They were tortured until they confessed to being heretics. And so the Templars saw their end. Most of them were burned at the stake, but the rest of them were disbanded by Pope Clement in 1312. For centuries, people believed that the Templars really were heretics, until something in the secret archives of the Vatican was misfiled. Wow. <laughs> Take any guesses? No, no, I'm, I'm going to let you say it. Power, money, money, power, power, power money, money. Power, money. Documents proving that their deaths and dissolvement was nothing more than a political stunt and that all higher political powers involved knew that these men were not heretics. The Vatican kept this information a secret for so long. We were not supposed to see it, even when it was found out. So basically, what happened is the king of France was like, hey, my homie, Clement, what's up, home dog? Uh, so yeah, these Templars, I really don't like them. And uh, they're heretics. I know they're actually not, but like, home dog, if you don't pull your support from them and say that they're heretics, then France is going to pull its support from the church. So like... Hmm, I love a good old-fashioned threat. We should really figure out this Templar business because we don't, we don't want... We don't want heretics doing the holy work of God, do we? I, obviously, that's not really what happened, but I imagine that that, that is what happened. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, that's exactly what happened, word for word. Yeah. Homie. <laughs> <laughs> Home dog, my boy, my man, Pope Clement. What's up, dude? What's up, dog? Come on, Pope. I wanted to lead with this example because... 
wow, <laughs> their own people. The Templars served the Pope, and the Pope turned on them to gain political footing in France. That's that's fucked up, if you ask me. Yeah, it's it's mega fucked up. But not to go down the end of days conspiracy rabbit hole. Okay, that's exactly where we're going. Great. There is a conservative Catholic group that was created in Spain in the 1920s. It has since been surrounded by conspiracies. If you read The Da Vinci Code, then you will know exactly who I'm talking about. And that was a work of fiction. We're talking about real life. Doesn't always line up completely. Opus Dei means work of God. And they are rumored to have control over the Catholic Church with their hands in multiple world governments. All in all, they are a secretive, cult-like group that believes in a very fundamentalist version of Catholicism. They take part in self-flagellation and other forms of self-torture, I guess you could say. One of the more notorious ones is they have this, I guess, thigh belt? Like, it's a strap that goes around their thigh, and it's made of spikes. It kind of looks a little bit like inverted barbed wire, as in the barbed wire is going into their skin. And, oh my god. Uh, they have to wear it for a certain amount of time a day. Wow. Okay. I assume that that is to sate sexual desire. Oh. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I'm assuming. I'm, I'm making an assumption based on other cult-like practices we've looked into. <laughs> if you're into that. There are also different levels of membership, and the lower level members have their day-to-day -day lives literally controlled by their leaders. From emails being read to women in the order not being allowed to look at any man, they are very, very extreme. Jeez Louise. Holy moly hot dog. <laughs> That's intense. To put it plainly, they want to take over the world and make everyone share in their fundamentalist view. Great. Some people believe that there is evidence hidden within the archives of the church's involvement with Opus Dei and their endorsement of the cult. Meaning, they have evidence that Opus Dei has its hands in multiple world governments. They have evidence that Opus Dei has its hands and pockets in the church, or even members within the church, higher level parts of the church. I mean, money makes the world go round. Well, I'm not even saying money. I'm just the whole, like, yes, it does. And I know I said pockets, but the whole conspiracy is that there is evidence and written document that Opus Dei controls the church, controls the Vatican. Oh. Which you look, if you look at their practices and you look at their extremism, and then you look at what the Catholic Church does nowadays and how they've kind of just excused a lot of things that have gone wrong, it starts to make sense a little bit. I mean, it's also not that much of a shock that, I mean, when humans get a little bit of power, they go nuts. You're telling me. So, I mean, if history has taught us anything, it's that a lot of wrong people, they be, they be getting a lot of power and they be doing a lot of fuck shit with it. Oh, man. I honestly, I don't think it's, it's a far leap. Maybe the Opus Dei having their pockets and hands in multiple world governments might be, but... That might be a stretch, but maybe they had, you know, a few. But if they have their hands and members in the Vatican, then they already have their hands in multiple world governments. True. 
the Vatican, I mean, for all of its flaws, it is the spiritual location for people who worship the Bible. So they have a lot, a lot of pull. The, the biggest conspiracy theory, other than the Nazis and the Holocaust, is that the Vatican has evidence that Jesus was not real and that the contents of the Bible are 100% fiction. What? That is supposedly their most protected secret in the archives. There's evidence that Jesus was not real? Yes. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, uh. What about the information of a supposed, like, wedding invite that Mary was supposed to be invited to was at a wedding or something like that? And then there's, like, a theory that the wedding was Jesus and Mary Magdalene's? Well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> here, Here's the thing is that we have one side that's like, no, the Vatican knows that none of this is real. The Vatican has evidence that if they show us, their power will fall apart. And then they have the other side that's like, no, 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 no. The Vatican knows that this is real. The Vatican knows that hell is real and that the devil is real and you know they they perform exorcisms there because they know so we don't so we don't know but one thing we do know one thing we do know is that there is like whether or not they believe that jesus is real or not they believe in prophecy they believe in the devil they believe in demons they believe in some sort of higher power and whether or not that's the higher power they preach to us mm-hmm they do believe in it and wholeheartedly. So this one's a real, real doozy. They believe in something. So there's something called the three secrets of Fatima. Okay. And this kind of proves, along with other things, that they do believe in something. In 1917, three children in Portugal had prophetic visions about war, natural disasters, hell and sinner suffering, and much, much more. The first vision specifically spoke to World War II, which is uh, creepy as hell. Yeah. And until 2000, the Vatican kept these documents from the prophecies a secret. And multiple, multiple of these prophecies have come true. I don't know whether to nerd out about that or freak out about that. I mean, let's be real. The Simpsons prediction all the time. (laughs) I can't stand when I see those videos are like the Simpsons predicted it. And then I like I watch the the episode clip it and then it I mean, to be fair, some of them do look kind of creepy. I'm like, huh. OK, but Donald Trump lucky, lucky coming down yes. the escalator. Yeah, that one was at what that one actually got to freak me out because I was like, hold on. <laughs> uh, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, Janet. So possibly one of the most disturbing secrets, attempted secrets kept closely guarded is a fact that we lightly touched upon already, exorcisms in the Vatican. So there is an American priest, Father Vincent Lampert, who lived in Rome for three months to learn how to become an exorcist from the Vatican. He watched and learned from 40 exorcisms. He says that he's heard someone speak in a new voice and has even watched someone fly backwards and levitate. He receives over 800 requests a year from people who believe that they are possessed, people who are not religious. So it's something. 
there's something going on. And that's the thing. I had someone ask me recently, okay, so how does the Vatican relate to demonology? Mm -hmm. And obviously, so let's say, okay, let's sit here for a second and say, well, the Vatican knew that Jesus wasn't real. So why are they still practicing? Why are they still worshiping? They know something. They're, they're training, what, like 3,000 exorcists a year? Something crazy like that? They, they know that there's something evil, and we know that. But we don't know what they know to be good, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that if they are training that many priests to become exorcists, what the fuck? are we fighting against? No, it's so true. I mean, really. But the thing is, is, and not to get too far into it, because again, I don't want to disrespect anything that anyone believes, because whatever you believe, as long as you keep it near and dear to yourself and don't push it on to other people, it's valid, 100%. But control is chaos. You get control through chaos. Yeah, so maybe, um, maybe fear. This leads me into our next episode. Next episode, we're going to be going more into depth about real life exorcisms. Yes. And possibly some exorcisms that did not end so well. Oh. So stay tuned and don't forget to rate our show. Follow us on Instagram, haunted.detective, Miss Pammy J, the Kelsey Childs. And bright and early, every or dark and early, every Monday at midnight, as soon as that <laughs> clock chimes and your glass slipper slips off, you better run back home and turn on our episode. Thank you guys so much for watching. We're going to close the case file on demonology for today. Peace. Bye. <laughs>